0: Welcome to the Chartered Institute of Arbitrators podcast. My name is Natalia Otlinger, and today I'm meeting Jill Mansfield, who is a qualified barrister with over 20 years of experience as a commercial lawyer. Jill has been practicing as a mediator for over a decade, she's a fellow of the Chartered Institute. And member of the CRARP Presidential Panel of Mediators. Some of our listeners may be more familiar with CRARP's work in the field of arbitration, but of course, CRARP offers dispute avoidance and dispute management across a wide range of dispute resolution techniques, including, of course, mediation. That's why I'm here today with Jill to discuss the benefits of mediation and initiatives undertaken to increase the use of mediation in resolving commercial disputes.
1: Hi, Natalia. Thank you. It's great to be here.
0: Thank you, Jill. So to start with, can you tell us a little more about the main characteristics
1: of mediation? Absolutely. So mediation, uh, put most simply, is basically a flexible process which is conducted confidentially where a neutral person, the mediator, actively assist parties who are in a dispute to work towards a negotiated agreement and where the parties have control of the decision to settle and the terms of the settlement agreement. So there's a lot in that definition and it might be helpful um, for your listeners if we just unpack that slightly. Uh, The first part is that it's a flexible process. So there's a common structure that most mediators will use, which is a mixture of joint and separate meetings. But one of the strengths of mediation is that you can build the process around the needs of the parties depending on the of the specific dispute that you're dealing with. The second key characteristic is that it's a confidential process. So unlike legal proceedings which happen in open court and where the evidence and any judgment are given in public, a mediation is confidential. And the details of the dispute and any settlement remain private and between the parties unless the parties decide otherwise. And this can make it a really great way of resolving disputes where the parties prefer to keep the issue out of the press or where they want to avoid um, airing their dirty linen in public, Related to that is the fact that mediation is a without prejudice process. So what that means is that what happens in a mediation can't be used in subsequent court proceedings or in any litigation. So the parties can try and work through their issues, generate options and discuss potential solutions, knowing that if the mediation isn't successful, what has been discussed can't be used against them in later court proceedings. So this gives the parties much greater flexibility to look at their options for settlement knowing that they won't be tied to them unless there's an agreement um, on both sides of the dispute. So only once everything is agreed and put into a settlement agreement and signed by all of the parties is there a binding agreement that's enforceable at court. Up to that point, parties can freely explore options without being tied to them. In terms of the process itself, mediations, as I said, are often made up of a joint meeting with all of the parties attending and then a series of separate meetings. The process as a whole is confidential, But that confidentiality also applies to individual meetings. So what is said in those individual meetings is also confidential and will only be shared with the other party with the specific agreement of the party sharing the information. And this enables the mediator to have an overview of the whole of the dispute, to see what the parties aren't willing to share with each other, and then to help the parties work out a solution that might not otherwise have been obtained because of the information that they choose to withhold.
0: And can you tell us more about the role of the mediator?
1: So for me, there are two main elements of the role that are particularly key. The first element is neutrality. So the mediator is a neutral third party. They're impartial. They have no vested interest in the outcome of the dispute. And that means that they can work with both parties to try and find a solution that everyone can live with. That neutrality and the ability to build trust with all of the parties that stems from that neutrality is vital. So sometimes we as mediators hear from lawyers that they've tried negotiating a settlement and it hasn't worked, so they don't believe that mediation will work either. The key difference is that a lawyer is working to advance the interests of their client and only their client, rather than working to try and find an overall resolution that works for everybody, whereas the mediator, on the other hand, works with all of the parties to try and help them find workable and lasting solutions that everyone can live with and that can form the basis of a negotiated settlement agreement. The second element to the role is that the mediator doesn't have the power to impose an outcome on the parties. Um, the mediator, unlike a judge or an arbitrator, doesn't make a judgment about who's right, who's wrong, or make any decision on the merits of the case. What this means is that the parties retain control of the outcome of their dispute throughout the process. The decision whether to settle or not remains with the parties throughout the process, um, and the terms of any agreement are also completely within the party's control. So this element of party autonomy or party self-determination is a really really important aspect of the mediation process. And it's one of the reasons that mediation is so successful and such a powerful tool in resolving disputes.
0: This retaining control of the outcome is obviously going to be important to business people. They then have the opportunity to strike a deal rather than having an outcome imposed on them by a judge. Is that also the
1: case in other types of disputes? Definitely. So what we find is that where people have a role in deciding the outcome of their dispute and the terms of the agreement, they feel more empowered in the process and they're more likely to honour the terms of the agreement. Plus, where they feel that their needs and opinions have been taken into account, they're far more likely to see it as a fair process and to view the process itself in a positive way.
0: Following your point about how parties view the outcome... I would be interested to know more about whether the outcomes available for mediation differ from those available for going to court.
1: So the outcomes that you can achieve at court are relatively limited. Put in its most simple terms, a judge will usually say to parties, you are right, you are wrong. What you get is a binary result. What that means is somebody wins, somebody loses, and the usual outcome would be an award of damages, so some form of monetary payment passing between the parties. In contrast, a mediation settlement could be much more creative. So we can look at a whole range of practices practical and commercial outcomes that address the needs of the parties. So, for example, in a commercial context, that might include restructuring the payment terms of an agreement or completely renegotiating the terms of a contract, if that's what the parties want. Um, Trading off additional payments for new obligations, agreeing to new terms. The parties can essentially determine what solution works best for them. Mediation can also address more personal and emotional needs, such as the need for an explanation or the need for an apology. And these kind of solutions just aren't available to a court. And it's this potential for very creative and very flexible solutions that's a real strength of mediation uh, when contrasted to the outcomes that you can get at court the other area of going to court that can be problematic is that our litigation system pits people against each other so what we have is a legal system that is an adversarial system Uh, By definition, that sets people in opposition. Each side tries to prove its case and disprove the other's case. And that results in people becoming very entrenched in their legal positions and locked into that adversarial process where each party only advances the very best version of their own case and often starts to believe that very best version of their own case, not looking at any of the faults or flaws that might also be there. In the mediation process, parties can start to think about what they need to achieve from a situation rather than what they need to prove. So the mediation process basically allows them to press pause on the dispute or the litigation, to focus on solutions and to think about what they need for the future. And that gives them an opportunity then to work together to try to find a solution. It allows people to focus on the outcome that they want to achieve, rather than looking at the past. It's very much a forward-looking process. And the reality is that relationships, commercial or otherwise, very rarely survive the litigation process. Mediation, on the other hand, allows people to address their needs without destroying the relationship. It can also help to rebuild damaged relationships by re-establishing dialogue, um, helping people deal with their underlying problems, which just can't be addressed through the litigation process.
0: Jill, I noticed that the definition of mediation that you used at the beginning left out the word voluntary, although mediation is often described as voluntary process. Is there a reason for that?
1: That's a really great question, and it's a bit of a hot potato in the mediation field at the moment. As I mentioned earlier, party autonomy is one of the real keys to the success of mediation. The fact that the parties to a mediation retain control of the outcome is a really important part of the process, and it's one of the key reasons that mediation works. But in many jurisdictions, including in the UK and Ireland and beyond, there is a growing feeling that mediation isn't being used as widely as it could could be or should be within our legal system. In most quarters now, there's a general acceptance of the benefits of mediation that we've just talked about and that mediation works, but there's less consensus about how we encourage more people to use it. What we find as mediators is that parties who may initially be reluctant to use mediation are often very vocal converts having been through the process. So mediators regularly hear it will never work or the other side are unreasonable and will never agree to it or that even if they do agree to it, they won't negotiate in good faith. Or what we sometimes hear from lawyers is we've tried negotiating and it hasn't worked, so this won't either. But the reality is that it does work. According to a survey in 2018, 89% of commercial mediations um, actually result in a settlement on the day of the mediation or shortly afterwards. And professionals and parties alike are often very surprised by the ability of mediation to achieve settlements where the parties seem completely implacably opposed. So, for example, I mediated a fairly acrimonious workplace dispute um, at the end of last year where both parties said that they would mediate, were very happy to mediate, but both said in almost exactly the same terms that they had very little confidence that the process would be successful. Yet, within a really short period, they'd both apologised to each other, um, they'd agreed a way forward that enabled them to continue uh, working together, And what was really fascinating for me to see is that they both agreed, one, that the process was great. They both said, you know, why do more people not know about this? Why aren't more people using it? And they both said, how do we incorporate this into our workplace? How do we get our employer to use this more widely? As a mediator, that's really great to hear. But the challenge is, how do we increase the uptake of a process that we know works, whilst honouring the principles on which that process is based? So, party autonomy. That's where the debate around whether mediation should be a purely voluntary process comes in. And it's led to questions in legal systems around the world about compulsory mediation and what degree and what form of compulsion would be acceptable in mediation.
0: So are there proposals to increase the use of mediation in the UK and internationally? Do these include proposals for mandatory mediation?
1: What's really interesting to me is that based on exactly the same evidence and exactly the same international reviews... Each jurisdiction is taking a slightly different approach and a different view on the question of mandatory mediation and compulsion. Now, in some jurisdictions, there are really good practical reasons for this. So, for instance, the introduction of mandatory mediation in Italy was due to serious backlogs in the court system. And that meant that it could take decades rather than years for your case to actually get to a final hearing. But the introduction of a mandatory system for most types of civil and commercial claims led lawyers in Italy to go on strike. That in turn led to a challenge to the validity of the system under the Italian constitution. And the end result of that was that the reforms were scrapped and a much more scaled back version was introduced, um, which only really requires for attendance at a mandatory introductory session and only then for a more limited um, selection of cases. You would hope that the days of the acronym ADR being interpreted by lawyers as an alarming drop in revenue were behind us, but perhaps that's not always the case. But what we are starting to see are some genuinely groundbreaking initiatives internationally. And for me, one of the ones that's most interesting to watch at the moment is the introduction of what's been called presumptive mediation across the whole of the New York state court system. The press release describes this as a transformational move to advance the delivery and quality of justice in New York. Personally, I don't think that's too overblown when you look at what's actually being proposed. So what do these reforms involve? It's a system-wide initiative for the entire state of New York in which the parties in certain categories of civil cases will be referred to mediation as a first step to proceeding to court. The aim is to ensure that mediation can take place early on in the dispute through automatic presumptive referrals to mediation. The initial focus is going to be on court-sponsored mediation, but the stated objective of the reforms is to move ADR into the mainstream and to offer a far broader range of options to conventional litigation. And interestingly, it's the judges in New York who are championing this change. Um, It's clear, looking at the report of the advisory committee and hearing the comments of some of the judges who are going to be working to implement these changes, uh, that it's going to rely very heavily, particularly in relation to claims of a smaller value, on um, access to free and reduced cost um, ADR services services. New York, unlike the UK, for instance, has the mediation infrastructure to do this. There are lots of well-established community dispute resolution services across the entire state of New York. And many of these, including the one that I work with when I'm in um, the States, already offer court-based mediation. That said, I'm already starting to hear questions from commercial mediators in the US about the economics of this. So it's going to be interesting to see how that develops. But it's a clear indication of a growing acceptance that mediation works and that for many cases, it's a better option than litigation. And in New York, they've taken the view that the parties um, should be mediating early in the process and for them, the earlier, the better. I'm also really excited by the fact that they're proposing to collect data on referrals, opt-outs, the matters being mediated, settlement and other outcomes. And most importantly, data on user satisfaction. So much of the debate around early mediation and compulsion to engage in the mediation process is based on anecdotal evidence and assumptions. So it's going to be really interesting to see actual data from this kind of broad ranging scheme.
0: And how about the situation in the UK?
1: Yep, there are certainly ongoing efforts to increase the visibility and uptake of mediation in the UK. Uh, The Civil Justice Council's working group on ADR issued a report last year in 2018, considering various approaches to encourage the use of mediation in England and Wales. Currently, cost sanctions at the end of the case are the primary means of encouraging parties to engage in mediation in England and Wales. But obviously that comes at the end of the process after the costs have already been incurred. Personally I welcome the recommendation from the report that there should be a greater degree of court intervention earlier in that case management process rather than waiting for the end of the trial. Although of course it remains to be seen if, how and when those recommendations are going to be implemented. I also personally agree with the recommendation that the cost sanction for unreasonably uh, refusing to mediate should be applied more vigorously. Obviously I would, I'm a mediator. Sadly the report shies away from some of the more radical and transformational approaches um, that we've seen in New York and elsewhere in the world and for many the report feels like a bit of a lost opportunity and it's been really interesting to compare the rationales to the different approaches being taken in New York State and in England and Wales particularly in relation to the timing of mediation, so when the mediation should happen in the litigation process. It's still an area of some controversy. The report does identify the notice to mediate process, which is used in British Columbia as a potential model for consideration, though. Under the BC model, any party to an action can initiate a mediation by serving a notice to mediate on the other party, or parties if it's a case with multiple parties. That notice then triggers a process for the selection of a mediator and the scheduling of a mediation within very fixed time frames and most importantly the parties have to attend a pre-mediation conference and mediation session and the system has real teeth so in the event of a failure to comply the court has a range of sanctions available. These include staying the action so pausing the litigation until the defaulting party complies, dismissing the action, striking out a response or making any order for costs that it considers appropriate, so the system really does have teeth. And this kind of system for the UK would require some additional uh, mediation infrastructure to be put in place, including the establishment of a court roster of mediators, some degree of agreement on the training and criteria for appointment to the roster, and also remuneration for the mediators participating. It's fair to say that the system in BC isn't without its challenges, but it's definitely an interesting basis for discussion on how mediation can be brought into the mainstream.
0: Jill, you mentioned training. Do you think that mediator skills have wider application outside of ADR.
1: Absolutely. Even if you're not planning on a career in uh, dispute resolution, the kind of skills that you will learn on a mediation training will be incredibly helpful in your professional career. Whether you're a HR professional, a people manager, whether you negotiate for a living or just want to understand how to deal with conflict and how to have more productive conversations, a mediation training will be enormously beneficial in improving your communication skills.
0: Many thanks, Jill, for your fantastic explanation of the process of mediation and insights into the current developments in this field. It seems that there is a consensus that mediation works. The challenge is to make it more commonly used. That's why it was great to hear about ongoing efforts to increase the use of mediation in different jurisdictions. Following your last point concerning the universal application of the skills which can be developed through mediation training, I can add that Chartered Institute offers a great variety of mediation courses. These courses will be of interest for individuals pursuing a career in mediation, but also other professionals wanting to develop their negotiation and communication skills. CRAP has also recently launched its new platform called Your ADR under which it can deliver bespoke courses teaching these valuable skills. We are now able to design and deliver a customized program on avoiding, managing and resolving disputes. Skills, which as you mentioned, are essential in every profession. Thank you for your time, Jill. It was great to have you here today. You're very welcome.